It's the show the establishment warned you about. Welcome back to the Dr. Tommy Show. Thank you for joining us. Been off for a little bit. We had a busy week last week. We had a couple birthdays, several birthdays. We had uh, kids going away to college. Now we have kids going away to college and one of them starting preschool. Have a interesting family. We have my wife and I together. We have three children. Two of them are my stepchildren. Her two children, and then I have we have together a child, and the oldest one is now in vet school at UF. Today is they're up. Uh, Tracy's up there for a family day, and then the youngest one just started Montessori school, which is a new thing we have in Tampa, in Hillsborough County, where we're broadcasting from the free state of Florida. So. <laughs> it's pretty pretty interesting to have that spread. Thank you for joining us. We are, like I said, broadcasting from the free state of Florida, where we are part of the Banana Republic of the United States, but we're still an outpost of freedom in the uh, Banana Republic that we have here uh, recently. If you're out there and you're a patriot and you want to come in and see what we do here in uh, Concierge Medicine at Echelon Health, feel free to drop by. We have influx of new patients, but we still have room for more. So if you're out there and uh, they say when you're in business, I don't know how many out there have had a business or your family's in business or whatever, but they say in business, you're supposed to identify your ideal client. And uh, so our ideal client, and this is not ideal, meaning we don't accept people who aren't like this. This is just who seems to be wants to join. Ideal client is someone who is a business owner or uh, kind of not a business owner, but a manager or something like that in a, in a business. And then also a person who has uh, an interest in getting to root causes of health problems. And then a person who also does not want to wait and they don't want to deal with BS. They don't want to have wait on the phone. They don't want to wait for someone to call them back and they don't want to wait for um, uh, an appointment. And that's what we do here. So we're able to do all of those things here. Uh, as far as waiting, not having people wait uh, for phone calls, or don't have to have people wait to get an appointment, and they certainly don't have to wait uh, to. Uh, they certainly don't have to deal with any BS because there's no bureaucracy here. It's just us, you know. A lot of these big corporate uh, practices have just layer upon layer of, of of staff, and then the staff changes, and then they say, "Well, I like the doctor, but I hate the staff," or "I like the doctor, but I never hear back." And well, that's a function of the, the way the place is managed, and so that's what we don't have here. So anyway, if you're into town and you want to join us, come on by. We're just in uh, north of Bears Avenue on Florida Avenue in Lutz which is a part of Tampa kind of anyway had a uh, week last week or uh, I think it was last weekend saw the Godfather for the first time on the big screen, which is interesting because the Godfather has came out in 1972. And so you didn't really have a chance to see the Godfather unless you were born before then, or if you were around in 92, uh, they had a 25th year or 25 year anniversary not 92, uh, whatever year it was, they had a 25 year anniversary or maybe it was 20 year anniversary. Anyway, they had another anniversary viewing of the Godfather, which was in 1972 and they showed it in the theaters. And then just again, recently they showed it again in the theaters for the 50th anniversary. Although I did not see it then, but I was able to see it at the Tampa theater and it was a really cool event because, uh, the Tampa theater, if you're not 
familiar with the area is down in south in um, tam- downtown Tampa, and it is a historic theater. I believe it was built in 1928, and uh, there's a, several theaters around here that were built around the same time. One of them is a Polk Theater in Lakeland, which was built around the same time, and they all have this kind of um, they're, they're they're theaters, they're the actual theaters, so they have balconies and uh, mezzanines. I think they call them. And then they have the the usual, you know, gathering down below theater. Anyway, they uh, at the Tampa Theater, it's got this really interesting architecture. It's, it looks like it's outside when you're in there because they have the roof painted uh, with these stars in the roof. And then, then they have balconies. And it's just really, it's interesting. It's almost like you're, if you were to transport yourself, what I think we might look back in, and during the times of Shakespeare, when they would do the plays outside and then um, between the buildings and things like that, that's what it kind of looked like to me in my mind. Anyway, so we saw The Godfather, which was, in my mind, the greatest movie ever made. And I include The Godfather with The Godfather 2 as one movie, because really there's part one and part two. And it truly is uh, two parts of the same story in my mind. And so The Godfather part one and part two are together, I think, the greatest movie and I have to say that with a caveat because my other favorite movie is Unforgiven. So then I say, well, I have a tie for the for the number one movie, and it's a three way tie between The Godfather One, Godfather Two, and Unforgiven, which is Clint Eastwood's uh, magnum opus western movie. But anyway, The Godfather. Back to that. I've been watching this movie or this show on Paramount Plus called The Offer, and it's about the making of The Godfather. And there's some interesting stories behind the scenes about how The Godfather was made. And really, if you look back on it, The Godfather almost did not come off because of all the different challenges that were afoot, mostly to do with production. And the history of The Godfather is it was a it was a novel that was written by Mario Puzo in the late 60s. I believe it was 1967 when he had the um, they call a, the manuscript, 60 page manuscript, which became the novel. And it was at that time that Robert Evans, who was the head of Paramount Plus, actually optioned that book already based on those 60 pages. And I think he paid Puzo at. Uh, $12,500 at the time. And uh, Puzo apparently needed $10,000 to pay off a gambling debt. So he was kind of in a desperate situation. And I guess his agent advised him not to do it, but he did it anyway. So anyway, so way back when they wrote the he wrote the manuscript, before he wrote the book, uh, they, they paid him this $12,500. And it went on to make, make become you know, a very popular novel across the world. And then later became a movie but the movie itself when they first made it was not to be a blockbuster they wanted to make kind of a a a quick relatively cheap movie that would make some money but they had no intentions of making a great movie so if you look at the history of the godfather they the, the producers not the producers the the uh the company that made it paramount wanted to make it in the present time, which at that time was the 70s. So they did not want a period piece. They did not want it to be made in the 40s, which is where the book takes place. So they went back and forth with Puzo and, no, I'm sorry, with Coppola, who was the director, Francis Ford Coppola. They went back and forth with him a little bit about it. And he demanded that it be made in the time period that it was because it was an integral to the storyline that it took place in post-war America. And he wanted to make it a movie about 
uh, a family, a family that was involved in post-war American dream and a capitalistic dream. And it could not do that if you just said, well, this is just happening now in the 70s. It's just a gangster flick, which is what Paramount wanted to do. Paramount wanted to be a gangster flick, basically. Make money, be a gangster flick. And that, and then what Paramount was concerned about was they wanted real Italians in it. I guess they had recently done a movie where they had, uh, it was a gangster flick, but it was with, uh, I believe it was with uh, Michael Douglas's father, Kirk Douglas. And they didn't think it was authentic enough because um, Kirk Douglas, it was Jewish, and they felt like it just it didn't have the authenticity that it would if it was an Italian piece. So anyway, so they, they wanted to make a gangster flick. They wanted to make a gangster flick with Italians. And, uh, they also wanted it to be, you know, very inexpensive, relatively inexpensive, but profitable. So that was the task that happened. Well, Coppola got involved with it. He started to fall in love with it. And at first he didn't want to do it because he thought the, the, the novel itself was kind of tawdry. He did, it talked about, uh, you know, things that he wasn't interested in and talked about, uh, um, uh, Sonny's girlfriend in the movie, in the, in the book has a problem with her, not to be graphic, but she has a, a problem with, uh, her, uh, her female parts where she is not able to basically be satisfied, but anybody, but Sonny and Sonny who happens to be, uh, if you have kids in the car hung like a horse anyway. So the end of the story is, you know, Coppola saw this and he's like, yeah, this is not what I'm interested in. So that part of the movie, that part of the book got cut out. And there's more in there about uh, a guy who's a, a singer and he's modeled supposedly after Frank Sinatra and Sinatra was uh, not very happy with that. And a lot of that got cut out. And that's another thing about the movie that was hard to um, uh, Johnny Fontaine was the name of the character modeled after Sinatra, supposedly. Anyway, so that was another thing about built, making this movie that was an obstacle is that the Italians in, in New York especially did not want this made. So the congressman in New York didn't want it made. There was, I guess, where they were going to shoot the movie. The mafia didn't want it made. At that time, Joe Colombo was the head of the Colombo family, formerly the Profaci family, but now the Colombo family. And uh, he didn't want it made because he had just started a Italian um, rights league. I think it's American Italian, Italian American league. I think it was called. And basically it was a, it was a league that was supposed to uh, promote the ideals of Italian Americans and show that Italian Americans were being slandered essentially in the media as, as, as mobsters, which Joe Colombo obviously was, but as it is in the, in the mafia, which is interesting is they, they deny that they are something which, uh, actually exists. And this is, this has been a tactic from the mafia from the very beginning. And it's, it's kind of funny because it, it, it happens in, uh, in the movies too, uh, I remember there's a part in The Godfather where um, Michael Michael has shot and killed Solozzo, who is the captain of the uh, police department, who was corrupt, who was in uh, with, uh, I'm sorry, he killed the police captain who was in with Solozzo, who was the Turk, who was the opium guy who's trying to get Vito Corleone to back him. Anyway, so Michael kills the police captain and he kills Solozzo at a dinner. Then he is whisked away and goes to live in Sicily until things blow over. Well, then, you know, the Godfather gets out of the hospital. He survives this assassination attempt, and he's out there talking to this the, the commission. It's the commission, which is all the heads of the five families, plus all the families from across the country. And he's talking, and he says, uh, and there's other reasons. I have to have my son return uh, from these uh, uh, 
made up charges against him that he murdered this police captain, which is clearly what he did. And everybody sitting at the table knows he murdered the police captain because they're in the mafia. They, but he, it's just funny. This, this, this is part of the mafia where they just deny that it exists or deny that things that are true happen. It's kind of like double think. And so that existed with Joe Colombo. And that's the reason for the American, uh, Italian American league anyway. So, um, so, so Colombo was against it. Uh, the, there was local congressmen that were against it. The studio didn't want to make it the way it was made. And yet through all of this, um, you have to give Coppola credit and, and, and really Coppola is probably the only reason that is a great movie that we're talking about now, because if it was been in any other director, who's, who knows what would have happened? Any of those number of those things would have, uh, maybe made the movie not ever happen or make it to a movie that is not what we talk about is the Godfather today, a great movie. It might've been, you know, some throwaway movie that, you know, it was, it'd be one of those things that you find on Netflix and you never even realized it was made. So all those things happened, but yet they were still able to make the Godfather and the Godfather went over budget. And that was the big thing that the, the, the studio did not want is the Godfather to go over budget. And it did go over budget, but boy, did it make a damn lot of money. And it made so much money that after a couple of years, they made another one. And it was such a successful movie from a standpoint of cinema. It launched the career of Al Pacino, definitely. It, if, if The Godfather hadn't been made, if it wasn't for Coppola, I do not think Al Pacino would be who Al Pacino is today. Now, he would have still been a good actor, potentially. He, he may have been you know, as good. It would have definitely been a different trajectory. He would have never been known as Michael Corleone. Uh, potentially if, if, cause that's the other thing is Corleone wanted, I mean, sorry, Coppola wanted, uh, Al Pacino to play Michael Corleone. For some reason he had this, he had this desire that Michael be, uh, portrayed by Al Pacino. They wanted Robert Redford. They wanted Ryan O'Neill. They meaning the studio. They wanted, uh, I think they even wanted Jack Nicholson potentially who had been an easy writer. So anyway, this movie is a great movie. And then we recently lost James Kahn, Jimmy Kahn, who was the Sonny and Sonny happens to be, or James Kahn happens to be, I believe he's half Jewish. So he, he, he was not uh, Italian. Uh, Duvall was not Italian, but he didn't play an Italian character, but Coppola was Italian. Pacino was Italian. Marlon Brando wasn't Italian, but they wanted to have an authentic, authentic feel to it. And they wanted, uh, uh, they wanted it to be an Italian movie, which it was. And it turned out to be a really good movie that celebrated, uh, I think it celebrates Americanism, uh, that you can, you can build yourself up from nothing. That's one of the things it shows. And it also represents, uh, how power corrupts. It also is a, a movie that shows that there were loyalty is a very important, and where disloyalty is very dangerous and treachery is very dangerous and it can get you killed as it got Tessio killed at the end of Godfather 1. So Godfather 1 and Godfather 2 together, I think, are the greatest movie ever made. And uh, Godfather 2, not to go too far into detail, takes part of the Godfather novel that was not used and makes it into one half of the movie. And then there's a flash forward, or I'm sorry, a current time movie. So the Godfather 1 is the 1940s and it ends in the fifties. Godfather two has a part of the story that picks up right after Godfather one. So the, at the end of Godfather one, they move to Las Vegas and the Godfather two, uh, picks up when they're in Las Vegas. Okay. 
Then there's another part of the story, which goes back to the early 1900s. I believe it starts in 1902 when the Godfather, original Godfather, one played by Marlon Brando, Vito Corleone, is a a child. And his mother uh, loses her husband and her other uh, older child to this um, local mafia, Sicilian mafia. Uh, captain or boss and uh, she wants to save her last child and uh, they try to kill him and he survives and he escapes to New York through Ellis Island and starts off the 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 family in New York that way so that's the second movie Godfather 2 one of the things that makes it great is the way that Coppola is able to go back and forth between these two time periods seamlessly and also complimentary showing the rise of one Godfather Vito Corleone and the the fall of the other Godfather. So although Michael Corleone, I don't want to give away too many spoilers, you haven't seen it. Michael Corleone wins in the end, and he also loses in the end, and uh, he loses his personally wins professionally. I guess you could say. So anyway, the two of them taken together, great movie. Godfather one, Godfather two, Godfather three is an okay movie. It is nowhere near as good as the others. And the only reason it's a good movie or maybe an okay movie is because of Pacino, uh, because of um, uh, because of Vincent Mancini, who is uh, blanking on the character's name right now, but or the actor's name. But anyway, um, because of Vincent Mancini character, which is the Sonny's illegitimate child. And they really missed out on having Robert Duvall in it because Robert Duvall did not uh, get a suitable salary, so he decided he was not going to be in The Godfather 3. And if they had Robert Duvall in it, I think The Godfather 3 would have been much better and potentially, if not as good as the others, much more along the level of the others because the others are just uh, hands and sh- head and shoulders above um, above The Godfather Part, part 3. And uh, so... Anyway, so the uh, guy is Andy Garcia. I wanted to think of that. Anyway, Andy Garcia played Vincent Mancini. So because of Andy Garcia, because of Al Pacino, and because of the nostalgia, Godfather 3 is a good movie. Maybe a good movie. Uh, Godfather 1 and 2 are great movies. Greatest of all time. Okay, that's enough for the Godfather. I just wanted to run that by you. This week has been the hellacious week for Americans who are valuing their freedom, who value... uh, truth and honesty in government who value who want for their children for there to be a fair way forward for those of us who happen to dissent i was reading this thing on the other uh yesterday about the sex pistols and it was one of the people in the sex pistols who said i've lived long enough now to see that the left which used to be anti-authoritarian and anti-establishment is now the establishment authoritarian and the right is anti-establishment. So now it is basically, if you want to be a punk now, punk, you know, the punk culture, a true punk culture now is to be on the right or on the conservative side or on the limited government side, however you want to slice it. Um, The libertarian side. The establishment is the left. The left is the one with the boot on the throat of Americans. The left is the one who wants to uh, make everyone homogeneously uh, as far homogeneous as far as their political beliefs. The left is the one who will not tolerate dissent. The left is the one who denies freedom under the guise of giving freedom. And 
so what happened in in Mar-a-Lago this week is obviously on the news everywhere is a completely uh, disgusting uh, example of what happens when your society breaks down, when your government is no longer governing by the consent of the people, and when there's no longer rule of law, when there is rule by man, when when man is law, there is no rule of law. There's no the Constitution is not anything other than a, a faded document, which you can refer to when it's convenient and completely ignore when it's most of the time. And uh, so this this the search of 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 Donald Trump's residence at Mar-a-Lago purportedly for documents that were wanted by the National Archivist. So this is the craziest damn thing I've ever heard. The, the the purported reason for this, and we don't even know because the the the, um, the uh, what they call it, the warrant is sealed. So even his lawyer, get this, even the president. Now this is the president of the United States. Granted, uh, just a few year, just a year ago or two years ago, the president of the United States, who was president two years ago, this man was able to have his home raided, his lawyer kicked out. He did not see the warrant. He was not present when they did it. And for nine hours, they went through his house and they tried to make him turn off their cameras, uh, tried to make the people who were running security turn off the cameras at Mar-a-Lago. And I, it's reported that they didn't. They said, no, we're not going to do that anyway. So uh, this is what can happen to the president of the United States or former president of the United States. Can you imagine what can happen to you? If you get on the wrong side of the law, is there any is there anybody out there who believes if for some reason they got on the wrong side of someone who was of the law, whether it be the Department of Justice or your local uh, your local government, that you can stand a chance that you will ever have a free trial or a fair trial or, or fair investigation? Um. Uh, this is this is what's happened, and and if you think, well, you know, that they, they wanted to find some, this is a fishing expedition, and this is the same fishing expedition that has been started since the day Donald Trump descended down the escalator, and uh, you know, I, it was on Gateway Pundit. They said Scott Adams posted this on Twitter, and then Scott Adams is the uh, guy who writes Dilbert. He says. If you believe Trump squirreled away some nuclear secrets, so that's the latest thing that they said. This was Washington Post. And so shortly after Merrick Garland talked yesterday about, I didn't even watch it. I heard about it. Anyway, he's talked about how, uh, you know, they were doing this for whatever the hell reason. But he said, you know, the the, uh, the, the Department of Justice speaks through its uh, releases only. Basically, they don't leak. And then within minutes, Washington Post is out with a story that, the reason that they went down there was because Donald Trump had stolen the nuclear codes. Okay, so this is Scott Adams says. He goes, if you believe Trump squirreled away some nuclear secrets at Mar-a-Lago and refused to return them because you heard that the Washington Post say two anonymous sources that CNN can't confirm told him it was true, I can give you some useful context. He goes, how many of these hoaxes do you still believe are true? The Russian collusion hoax, still dossier hooker story, Russia paying bounties on U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan, Trump calling neo-Nazis, quote, fine people, Trump suggested drinking, injecting 
drinking or injecting bleach to fight COVID. Trump overfed koi fish in Japan. Trump cleared protesters with tear gas for a Bible photo op. Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation. Elections are fair because no court found major fraud. January 6th was an insurrection to overthrow the government, a quote insurrection to overthrow the government. Trump tried to grab the steering wheel of the beast, which they said that, you know, Trump was so uh, out of his mind on January 6th. He choked Secret Service men and then tried to commandeer uh, his Secret Service vehicle uh, or limousine so they could drive him to the to lead his insurrectionists. So this is the thing is this is a long line. And this is this is the latest episode in the effort to get Trump. And it's not Trump that they're trying to get. Trump is the guy who is is the is the the face of a movement. But they're after people who they're after people who do not uh, who who think that Trump is not uh, a bad guy. So you don't even have to not like Trump. I'm sorry. You don't even have to be a Trump follower you don't have to be a trump voter all you have to be is someone who does not detest trump and they're after you they do not want people like you to exist so if you're a trump supporter you're definitely on the list but you also have to believe this stuff all these things that i just said russian collusion hoax steel hooker dossier all that uh trump called nazis or uh, neo-nazis fine people if you don't believe all of those things then you're a target too because they have to have you submit to their will political will that you believe what they say so they can go on 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 their uh on their uh on their quest to do what what they want to do and what do they want to do is just impose bigger and bigger government that's all they want to do that's all they ever want to do is make the government bigger the individual smaller but if 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 this can happen to the president former president of the united states what the hell can happen to you and it's and it's funny because not funny it's scary uh they just passed this um this, what do they call it? The the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the craziest uh, title for a uh, bill recently, because clearly it's not going to reduce inflation if you're injecting more and more money into the system, which causes inflation. So they're going to put eight hundred million billion billion. What did I say? Million eight hundred million used to be a lot of money. Eight hundred billion is almost nothing now. $800 billion is going to be injected into the government, uh, largely uh, into Green New Deal things. So all you people out there who own uh, Green New Deal stocks are going to be benefited, are going to benefit from this, which is what the, what the Green Movement's all about is enriching people, people who have the right connections. Anyway, under the guise of saving everyone, under the guise of saving the planet. Anyway, so uh, it, this Green New Deal, part of this is they're going to hire 87,000 IRS agents, part of this new uh, Inflation Reduction um, Act. And the reason they need them, they say, is because they got to go find all of those tax cheats out there. They got to find all those loopholes that are being uh, utilized. And they're going to they're going to shake down everybody and they're going to get that money that we need. And, and they're going to raise taxes on those individuals who aren't paying taxes. And uh, there's been a um, there's a study that showed that this probably is not going to happen. And it said that uh, basically that the chances of you having an audit, if you're if your tax, I'm sorry, if you are among those who are making less than 400,000, according to uh, the, the state, according to Trump, or sorry, Trump, Biden is that it's not going to happen. But there is a. Um, 
there is estimates that the the, the uh, large part of that enforcement is going to come from those making under $75,000 a year. And it says here that uh, it says here, Commissioner Reddick, this is on Blaze. Commissioner Reddick insists that the 87,000 additional IRS agents will not be used to increase audit scrutiny on small businesses or the middle class. And that is not true because there is a, uh, here it is. Is it Senator Ted Cruz shared a similar sentiment. He said, you're not, they're not being created to audit billionaires or giant corporations. They're being created to audit you. The house ways and means committee, the minority has put out an estimate under this bill that there will be 1.2 million new audits this year with 700,000 of those new audits falling on taxpayers making $75,000 or less. So let me read that again. So he's talking to, uh, he's talking to, uh, who's he talking to? I don't know. He's talking to someone. He said that the house ways and means committee, the minority. So the minority, which is the Republicans on the house ways and means committee has put out an estimate that under this bill, there will be 1.2 million new audits this year with over 700,000 of those new audits falling on taxpayers, making less than $75,000 a year, which is a hell of a lot of people out there. And so, what does that mean? That means that these audits are going to come. And given that we know how they have weaponized IRS in the past with Lois Lerner, uh, specifically with the slow walking of conservative um, conservative nonprofit applications being slow walked, that's going to be a drop in the bucket compared, or that's going to be a speck on uh, elephant's ass compared to what they're going to do with this 87,000 new agents, 87,000 new agents. And, and, and if you think that they're not going to search for people based on their political affiliation, based on the fact that we know the IRS historically, like I said, through Lois Lerner has a political agenda. What is a chance that they're not going to use this to, to further enforce their, their, their stranglehold on the political system that they've already done through, um, um, politicizing and prosecuting people for their political beliefs. So the people who are January 6th uh, protesters or insurrectionists, uh, people who agree with anything that Donald Trump has to say are going to be potentially insurrectionists. I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to set it up and they've been trying to do this since January 6th to make it seem like if you do not go along with the political winds of their day, meaning that you do not follow what they believe is politically correct, they meaning the establishment, then you're going to be viewed as a threat and you're going to be potentially uh, someone who can be arrested uh, for inciting violence or for, for causing an insurrection or any of the other stuff they come up with, like they ha- they're holding these people in the January 6th gulags, or they're going to shake you down the other way through these 87,000 IRS agents. Could you imagine that uh, if you were you know, doing something like I'm doing right now on, on, on out in the open talking about them, that there's not going to be some way to track that down and then come after you? If you don't believe that can happen, then uh, you're very naive. And I and I uh, applaud your uh, your uh, what's the word for it? Uh, I, I applaud your optimism. Uh, what else? You know, um, the reason that they're after Trump is because he terrifies them. And Trump, like I said, Trump is not the reason that they're terrified. If Trump happens to not run, 
Okay. So if Trump not doesn't run in 2024, let's say he something happens, he gets sick, or he just says, you know what, it's not worth it. I'm not going to spend the last years of my life fighting these idiots. I'm just going to retire and I'm going to be left alone, hopefully. Uh, and that's what will happen. Well, someone's going to take his spot because Trump did not make this movement. This movement made Trump. I honestly believe that. Now, I'm not saying that Trump is um, is not sincere. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that Trump was part of the movement. Trump is a part of the movement. He's amongst the people who believed what he believed. There are a lot of people out there who believe this. There's a lot of people out there. Let me just broadly say what I think Trump believes and what a lot of people believe. I believe that Trump believes and a lot of people believe that there are elites out there. Okay. Those elites exist in government. Those elites exist in business. Those elites exist in academia. Those elites uh, exist in the media. Those elites exist in entertainment. And what these elites want is something that is not necessarily in the interest of everyday Americans. What they want is things that are in the interest of them. So people who have a lot of money aren't necessarily interested in uh, whether or not you have a job in the United States. Uh, They are not necessarily interested in whether or not your job is a good paying job. They're interested in profits for sure. And they say, well, if, if, you know, if, if, if the companies are doing good, the stock market is doing good, then everybody's doing good because everyone has a 401k purportedly. But the, what they don't really care about is, is like what we see in COVID happen, is that there's manufacturing here in the United States. So we aren't at the uh, behest of communist China to get damn face masks, which is what happened, where we do not have to depend on other countries to produce the vast majority of our medicines, India and China, where we have uh, a way to manufacture and uh, do things in America that doesn't make us uh, dependent on others. And speaking of dependency, energy, energy that came from the ground, energy that is here, energy that is in infinite, not infinitely, much, much more efficient than the renewable energy that they talk about, meaning solar and wind energy that is made from the carbon bonds in, uh, in, in carbon, uh, in, in, in fossil fuels, those breaking those bonds releases so much energy and it's put on here, uh, through, uh, through by God or by happenstance. If you happen to believe that either way it's here and it's efficient and it's, and it's not causing the earth's climate to change, uh, in and of itself. Uh, it is not the reason why there's flooding or, or disasters, despite what the people who are in the green movement have to say, because, the green movement is part of the elites because the green movement has decided this is going to be where we're going to make stake our stake our trade. We're going to make our money off of this green movement. We're going to make our money off of uh, trading uh, what they call them uh, energy credits. We're going to make our we're going to make our uh, we're going to make our money off investing in these green energy. We're going to make our money investing in in batteries and solar power and all this. So it's just a way for them to make more money. So Donald Trump believes that elites necessarily aren't looking out for you, but elites are controlling things. And he also believes that the government is not uh, is is too big. The government's too intrusive. And those are the kinds of things that Donald Trump believes. And that's what makes Donald Trump the the person who they want to target because he is energizing people who believe that same thing to speak up. 
and to vote and not to vote for people like, uh, you know, Republicans who are the, the old old fashioned Republicans like, uh, oh, um, these guys that are just, you know, they're just there to go along to get along. They're they're there for one election cycle into the next. And if they win, they happen to win. If they happen to lose, well, they're going to give a damn good uh, a loser speech, which is what Mitt Romney specialized in. And, and John McCain, just they just give this this great reach across the aisle speech about being a loser and how they're just going to uh, support the new uh, president, despite the fact that they just got their ass kicked by him. And they're just going to lose with such grace. And that's what makes a good Republican. How gracefully can you lose? What kind of loser speech can you give? Can you give a good loser speech? We'll nominate you to be president. And that's what they used to do until Donald Trump came along. And that's what they hate. They hate the fact that Donald Trump is a, uh, he, he he is, even though he is not a conservative by nature, necessarily, he espouses conservative principles. He espouses small government principles, and he espouses individual liberty principles. And they do not like the fact that he does that, and he does it effectively, but he also energizes people, common people, regular people to do that, because they do not need that. The establishment does not need that. And the establishment's the right, I'm sorry, the Republicans and the establishment's the, the Democrats. The, the the political parties that control our government, the Democrats and Republicans are, are are two parts of the same uh problem. They are the uniparty, the, the 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 establishment uniparty is what the Republicans are. And Donald Trump is effectively a third party person, even though he ran as a Republican and the Republicans nominate him. He is effectively a third party president. And what those two groups can't have is an upstart group, a third way. And that's what and that's what the people who suck if you if you ask most any Trump supporter if they are a Republican uh, because they just love the Republican Party or they're a Republican because they don't want to be a Democrat, most of them will say they're Republican. They don't want to be a Democrat. But anyway, that's just more of the reason that this 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 thing that happened in Florida is scary and that there has to be something done to stop this. And, and the answer is, well, you're going to go vote. There also is another answer that you have to do because voting as we saw, can help a little bit. Uh, voting helped to put uh, uh, Trump in office, and voting helped and allowed Trump to uh, appoint judges, appoint Supreme Court judges. So the voting has its role. But the real way that we're going to have to get through this is through education, making people understand that there is a problem. That is, it's not just like, you know, well, it's okay that, that you know, they, they, they rated Donald Trump because, you know, I'm a Democrat, so it's cool that they rated Donald Trump. I don't think it would be cool for me if Donald Trump raided uh, Hillary Clinton's house for no damn good reason. I really don't. I mean, honestly, I could say that. I don't really think that I would believe that is a good idea. And I think there's a lot of people out there who are on the um, Democrat side or, or liberals or leftists probably don't care. Leftists would would like it if they raided Donald Trump and maybe uh, uh, put him in chains and then uh, locked him away forever along with the January 6th people. But liberals, liberals, you know, meaning Democrats or people who are not conservative, I think they also do not like the fact that this this happened. And you're seeing that. All right. Uh, this is a little bit more about government. It says here, this is the Supreme Court just took up a monumental case. This is from Patriot Journal. Dot org. It says from Fox News, uh, 
Well, it says, the Supreme Court has already made history this summer, has given numerous rulings that have restored rights to both states and citizens, but doesn't seem to be done yet. As the fall season begins to take shape, we've discovered there could be an end to a 40-year policy that puts millions of students at a disadvantage. And it goes, from Fox News, the U.S. Supreme Court announced it would hear one of two cases on October 31st that could dismantle the 40-year-old president precedent of race-based affirmative action in university admissions. Students for Fair Admissions, Inc. versus Presidents and Fellows of Harvard College is one of two cases to come before the Supreme Court, court urging the court to eliminate race as an admissions factor and as a result overturn the precedent case Grutner versus Bollinger. So this is uh, big news. And it is big news because it is it's one of those things that is underpinning uh, what is a a fundamental fundamentally dishonest policy, and that is that affirmative action is somehow righting a wrong and helping people at the same time. And, and affirmative action, at its very core, is about discrimination and discrimination in a bad way. You can discriminate. Uh, discrimination, all, all, mean, all, all discrimination means is, really what discrimination means is telling the difference between two things. But people discriminate all the time. We make it seem like discrimination in and of itself is a sin and should not be done. But the late Walter Williams used to say that, you know, when he was when he was marrying and he was and he was in the market for being, you know, he was he was a bachelor and he was in the market for a wife. He said he discriminated. He discriminated against white women, for for, for one, and uh, I think he said he also discriminated discriminated against the women who weren't attractive, and so when he chose his wife, he purposely discriminated against white women and women he didn't think were attractive, and uh, that's how he how he got his wife. So anyway, the, the the idea that discrimination in and of itself is is a bad thing is. Is, is the way we've changed language to say discrimination equals bad. But anyway, back to the point is the affirmative action is true discrimination based on skin color. And so you say, well, it's, it's necessary because there's so much racism out there. And if we don't have affirmative action, then these people are never going to have a chance, which is bull crap. And what is it, why the reason is bull crap is because skin color now today in society is not the major determining factor whether or not you succeed or not. However, I will say this. Skin color is the major determining factor whether you be exploited by a politician. Uh, that may change soon. It may be whether or not your uh, penis has been uh, transgendered or not, because that's becoming the new thing that the politicians want to exploit, is whether or not your, you know, your gender has changed. Uh, but... For the most part, politicians love to exploit people based on their skin color, and they love to use skin color as a way to divide people against each other and a way to reward one group and punish another group all the same time while seeming to be uh, holy, holier than thou. And so this affirmative action, what it does is it says, look, uh, because of historical racial injustice, uh, now certain people of a certain skin color are going to get a step up and people who are a different skin color are going to get a step down. And it's entirely uh, offensive to someone who is being discriminated against. And it should be offensive to those people who are supposedly being helped. Why do I say that? I see this all the time. I turn on the... Um, I turn on the TV, for instance, 
and I'm going through uh, Paramount Plus, let's say, and I'm looking through and it's got all the different categories and it's got, uh, you know, Westerns and it's got new releases and it's got action and then it's got black voices or black stories or whatever. And so you're like, okay, so this is a collection of stuff about people who have a darker skin color, black people, right? So you click on it and usually it has some type of preface that says, you know, we are going to amplify well, another thing to say, they are amplify their voice. We are boosting these people up. We are we're we're we are we are showing that the the black artists out there deserve to be um, to be heard and we're we're promoting them. So what is that saying? Is that saying that if not because of Paramount Plus putting the special thing in there, that no one would have watched that? So what is that saying that Paramount Plus thinks about their black entertainers or people who have made movies that are black who are now in their category as black voices or black stories? Is that not degrading to me? I mean, to me, I'm not black, but I can see how that could be. I, as a person who, I don't know, I'm not... I am what I am. I don't even think about it. I never think about what color I am. I honestly say that. I can. Ne I never think about what color I am. Anyway, I'm not white. I'm not black. Whatever I am, I am. But the idea that if I were to turn on uh, a, a Paramount Plus and then it says here, uh, Pacific Islander Voices, and then we're going to help Pacific Islanders because if it wasn't for us, then nobody would watch their crappy movies but because we're, we're we're pumping up these pacific islanders maybe at one point they're going to be good enough to be viewed on par with the rest of the with the rest of the uh categories we have here but until then we're going to call them out by skin color and, and we're going to amplify their voices so they think that boosting people up by singling them out for special attention saying they're not good enough on their own is somehow a positive thing does not make any sense to me so the same thing with affirmative action. So let's say that Pacific Islanders were a preferred minority group. They are not. Let's say that they were. When I applied to medical school and they accepted me, I would want them accepting me on my merits, not because of my skin color. In actual fact, Pacific Islanders and Asians are not included, which is a hilarious thing. So they say, look, we're going to include people based on their skin color, right? But we're not going to include everybody based on their skin color. So we're going to discriminate against white people. We've already said that with affirmative action. But we're also going to discriminate against uh, non-white people who aren't our people that we favor. So the people that are favored, who are called underrepresented minorities, we're going to favor those. So if you're Hispanic, if you're, uh, I think it's Native Alaskan, if you're a Native American, if you are uh, black, if you are Hispanic, I don't know if I already said that. Anyway, those are the underrepresented minorities that you can benefit from your skin color, that these nice people are going to just pat you on the head and say, okay, now, Tommy, because of your skin color, we're going to give you a little extra help because we know because of that, without us, you couldn't have made it. So we're just going to give you a little bit of extra help and uh, you're going to get into college now. And these other people aren't going to make it. So the Supreme Court now is going to hear about this and I hope they get rid of it. It's one of those things when I was, well, not now, it still is. It's one of these things that you think of in, in, in life that are just going to be forever, even though if you don't like them. And the other one is abortion on demand. And uh, that that went away. Roe v. Wade, this idea that you can just have an abortion, that abortion is nothing more than a, a, a late uh, late birth control, essentially uh, killing, killing as a killing as a means of birth control. That's gone away, thankfully, uh, at the federal level, not on the state level. 
But as a federal constitutional right, you no longer have the chance to just uh, say, well, because of the federal uh, constitutional right to uh, use birth control, I'm sorry, use uh, 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 abortion, aborting a human, a live person, uh, live fetus as, as birth control. You can't do that anymore. Anyway, that was one thing that I thought would never go away potentially. And then the other thing is this affirmative action, which is inherently, um, inherently unfair. It's unfair. I don't care if I was a person who would benefit from affirmative action or not. I think it's unfair that people are treated differently based on their skin color. I think it's absolute bull crap. Uh, what's next? This is scary. This is from Daniel Horowitz from the Conservative Review. I knew this was coming. Horowitz, study of young boys after vax, meaning the, the uh, so-called vaccine coronavirus, after vax shows cataclysmic prevalence of heart problems, comma, blows up sudden death theory. So it says here, a new preprint study from Thai researchers confirms those suspicions in spectacular fashion with sickening ramifications. And they're talking about this reported cases of myocarditis and pericarditis in bears. And they said there's 50,000 reported cases of it. VARES is where you go to report if you have an adverse effect, if you have a vaccine. Okay. It says they're likely underreported. Well, this says a preprint from the Thai researchers confirms these suspicions in spectacular fashion with sickening ramifications. Researchers conducted in-depth cardio surveillance of 301 adolescent children. 202 were boys. They got jabbed and followed up for 14 days after the second dose of Pfizer. The results were mind-blowing. Seven of the 212, 202 boys, 3.5%, developed clinical or subclinical myocarditis or pericarditis. So myocarditis is swelling of the heart, inflammation of the heart. Pericarditis is swelling of the lining of the heart. Either one of them is not good and potentially can be fatal. It says this is not one in 5,000 or one in 10,000 as we were led to believe, which was bad enough. This equals one in 28 for all teenage boys jabbed. Okay. It says, and I remember Moderna has been proven to be even worse for heart inflammation, likely because it contains three times the dose of Pfizer. So this study, this preprint study from the Thai researchers show that in their study, 3.5% of the boys who had the Pfizer vaccine, quote unquote vaccine, developed uh, subclinical myocarditis or pericarditis. And so what's that happen? What does that uh, mean? So, well, we can extrapolate that and say, well, if this is true, then out there, there's a lot of people who are going to get myocarditis or pericarditis or have it right now. and may not even know it. And it says, uh, it says this should not be surprised. It says, because in the study that they did for approving the Pfizer vaccine, they said the following, it says in the pharmaco pharmacovigilance plan review addendum for com Comirnaty, the FDA, which is the Pfizer vaccine, the FDA conceded pages three and four, quote, incidents of subclinical myocarditis and potential long-term sequelae following Comirnaty are unknown. However, they did know that a previous study on smallpox vaccine, quote, suggested an incidence of possible subclinical myocarditis based on cardiac troponin T elevation 60 times higher than the incidence rate of overt clinical myocarditis. So they said that there were 60 times more people with myocarditis in this study on smallpox. And it was uh, 60 times higher than cl uh, clinical myocarditis. So where they said 
someone comes in the office and they say, oh, damn, you got myocarditis versus people are out there walking around like, eh, I kind of got some indigestion today. Well, 60 times more of those people with the subclinical, not necessarily known myocarditis existed in this study on smallpox. And they're saying, look, we did not do any studies on this for our study. But here it is, just in case, here's, here's some background evidence of what happened in another study on a, on a smallpox vaccine. And so what do you do? And you say, uh, and uh, Horowitz did this, he goes, it's 60 times greater. If you do the math, that equals one in 17 individuals for the highest risk group, a.k.a. men and young boys. It says, they asked Pfizer to complete a study on subclinical myocarditis, but it won't be completed for another year, long after they pressured and sometimes mandated any teenage boy to get the shot. If they wants to join the military, go to college, go to medical school, or compete in sports. It says, there are schools in America still requiring children to get this dangerous shot. Meanwhile, Denmark won't even make shots available for children anymore. So anyway, they're basically saying that based on this study, this preprint study from Thai, Thai researchers, they say that those those kids, 3.5%, showed subclinical myocarditis or pericarditis. The Pfizer study, which is not going to be done for another year now, the initial study when they approved the vaccine did not include any uh, incidents of, or did not include numbers regarding the incidence of subclinical myocarditis or potential long-term sequelae because they, they didn't have the time to do it. And so now they're going to have this study come out in a year. It will be interesting to see what comes out in another year. Honestly, I believe that they rushed this shot out. And the reason they rushed it out is is to make money. Honestly, I believe that. I'm not a conspiracy theorist per se, but when you look at the amount of money that was made by these vaccine makers, and if you look at, if you combine that with the way that they were able to use this uh, power to force people to do things, I don't know what the reason was for them if they weren't getting paid by these vaccine makers, but I think people overall enjoy making others do things that they think are right. And I think the experts and the uh, regulators and people who forced vaccines on people enjoyed doing that. And I think they, I think they oversold the vaccine, which is what's been said. Obviously, uh, Dr. Burks said that her, those were her exact words. We oversold the vaccine and they lied about the vaccine and they lied. When did they lie? They lied when they said, uh, you know, this this vaccine's going to prevent you from getting COVID. Uh, what was it? Dr. Fauci said, the vaccine makes COVID have a dead end. If it gets to you, it has a dead end. That's what Fauci said. Complete, completely false. Completely false. Yet that was the that was the word of the day. Not not too long ago, maybe one year ago. And uh, so they say that uh, the vaccine is 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 not going to stop is not going to let not going to let you pass COVID on. That's false. Uh, the vaccine is going to protect you now from a serious death. Lots of people dying with the vaccine. It's really unknown if the vaccine does anything. Honestly, beyond some very short term rise in the antibodies. And at this point, the vaccine is doing a rise in the antibodies for a spike protein, which is, as far as we can tell, probably extinct. So the spike protein that the vaccine makes you have is for the original virus, which is most likely mutated now beyond the recognition from that spike. I don't know if that's true or not, but the assumption is this, the spike protein, eh, 
the 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 virus that they use to make this is no is no longer really it's not the omicron we know that and so what did they do they they pushed this vaccine out there they used the scare of uh covid to to push out ballots to win an election here they used it across the government across the world for governments to lock people down i I really i can't explain to you why they did what they did because i don't think about things the way they think about i don't see i don't see trying to control people i don't i don't understand that logic but i do know that i i think in the bottom of my heart that there's going to be things come out about this vaccine later and it's funny they have dr fauci of all people and i think it was the 80s Maybe he was defending why he didn't have a, a, a HIV vaccine at the time. But anyway, Dr. Fauci was saying, well, we could give this vaccine, uh, but we don't know what the side effects will be now and especially down the road. So he, even him then was admitting that he didn't know what would happen with the vaccine. So anyway, I hope that there's not going to be, excuse me. I hope there's not going to be any widespread problems with the vaccine, but there exists that danger out there that there's this <clears throat> there's this uh, other shoe that's going to drop, and uh, we don't know if that's going to drop now. We don't know if it's ever going to drop. Hopefully, it never drops. But there is this this worry out there. You know, they talk about the vaccine too. It also interferes with menstrual uh, cycles. Now they're admitting this before they didn't admit it, but now they're admitting it. They're saying it interferes with menstrual cycle. It's not a big a deal. Uh, it makes the cycle a little bit longer. Makes makes maybe makes it come earlier. And uh, so, but they before they were denying this happened, but now it's it's actual it's actual uh, something they're talking about. But it makes you think. Well, if that happens, why does that happen? Because they say the spike protein doesn't go anywhere. They say spike protein gets made, uh, your body gets exposed to it, and that's the end of the story. But if people are developing menstrual irregularities, does that mean the spike protein is somehow interfering with the ovaries? I mean, no one's talking about this from the establishment, and uh, it's likely we're never going to hear from them until after the fact, and they're forced to admit what's happened. And I hope that it doesn't happen that myocarditis and pericarditis is a big thing from vaccines and it has long-term sequelae um, it is likely that it has killed a lot of people a lot more than we know of and it is likely that those people never received informed consent which is also uh, a wrong thing to do and hopefully after all this is said and done there will be some more people who are educated about uh, things about uh, government and they look at government with a jaundiced eye whenever they come out pushing these things and pushing so without offering any explanation other than you have to do it because we say we're we say you need to do it is exactly what they did with covid and all these vaccines and all this other stuff anyway that's it for today if you would like to join us go to drtommy.com slash podcast and you can see our uh, old episodes and if you want to come in and see us go to drtommy.com and then you can see where we're at in tampa and we're welcome to see you and we'll be glad to see you uh all you patriots out there until next time bye-bye